Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host, and this week my guest is Charlie Van Dyke. Now, some of you may know that name because he was a very popular disc jockey in the 60s and 70s. He worked huge radio stations at the time, like KHJ Los Angeles, WLS Chicago, KFRC San Francisco, CKLW in Detroit, and a number of other stations. And even if you don't know the name, you do know the voice. Charlie Van Dyke. Yeah, he's this guy. This is KETV Channel 7. At 5 o'clock, it's Newswatch 7 with Carol Schrader, Michael Scott, Sports with John Nicely, and Weather with Chief Meteorologist Jim Flowers. KPRC-TV Channel 2, Houston's 24-hour news source. Now, Channel 2 News at 5 with Bill Biesa, Jan Carson, Roland Galvan, Craig Roberts, and the Channel 2 News Team. Oh, yeah. Him. Charlie is also one of the most successful voiceover artists in America, and we will chat with him this week on Hollywood and Levine. Well, first of all, this might be kind of tough for listeners because we sound so much alike that it might kind of be hard for them to decipher just which one of us is talking. But I, I want to start off by saying, Charlie, you're, you're a great sport. The fact that you are talking to me at all is, is, <laughs> is pretty amazing because in radio, people pulled practical jokes and this was the early 70s, and you were on KHJ Los Angeles, and, uh, and they had a, a contest. And the program director at the time was a gentleman named Paul Drew. And let's just say that I, I questioned the wisdom of some of his programming decisions and called up as my alter ego, Marv Saxon, <laughs> and got on the air and did this. Uh, this is Palumbo again. Uh, it's time to guess the name of the celebrity suspect and the crime he committed for $1,000 in KHJ cash. Marv Saxon of Woodland Hills, remember that you must answer both questions correctly to win. Marv, what is your deduction? Paul Drew for killing KHJ. That's not quite right, man. I will be sending you a picture, though, of the KHJ celebrity suspect. Stand by for another clue. 93 KHJ. I still haven't received my consolation prize, Charlie. It, it was a Pink's hot dog, and uh, it's a little stale by now, but we'll get it to you. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was the right answer, though, wasn't it? It was just not the one that was on my cue sheet, but you know, you'll notice there, after you said that, there was a small pause on my part, and that's because the contest form said, I was supposed to say, would you repeat that, please? <laughs> well, I thought, I thought <laughs> once was plenty for that one, so as I... <laughs> grab the next line on the page i think we moved on and i i believe i hung up on you i think so 
Yeah, um, I think so, too. Yeah, like I said, I'm still waiting for my prize. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was that was one of the better bits. Uh, now, you know, there's only... I've been had a few times. Yours was, was the winner. There was a time I was doing mornings at KFRC in San Francisco, and I had this beautiful poem that I wanted to read uh, early in the morning, and I put on Paul Marriott's Love is Blue, and I read this lovely poem about love, and I got through with that, hit the jingle, went to the next record, and I decided to answer the phone and take some praise. And the first call I get, the guy says, you fucking fool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I felt really rewarded for that effort, you know. Uh, that was on the air? No, luckily I didn't get that one on the air, no. Uh-huh. No, I was, I was just going to, you know, gaze in the glory of the moment, but it turned into a nightmare. Yeah. Well, you know, these practical jokes could go from being real fun to being very serious. I remember another one that involved you when you were the program director of KGB in San Diego, and it was the first day of the ratings against KCBQ, and and they cut all your telephone lines to the transmitter, basically knocking you off the air. That wasn't exactly a hilarious bit, was it? No, that wasn't much fun. In fact, I remember that night very clearly because it was a very pitched battle. So I uh, settled down in my living room, and I had a radio on each side of my favorite lounge chair, and I'm monitoring both stations, trying to see how the music rotations are going against each other. And about three minutes into it, there's no sound. So I check, no, our carrier's on. There's, there's no, no static. It's just a, nothing. So I called the station. The guy, no, no, I'm playing the record. I'm playing it. We're good. And I said, well, you're, you're good in your earphones. We're not getting anywhere. So I uh, called the chief engineer. They um, called the telephone company. In those days, the program was related to various telephone switching offices, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. So the chief engineer, I, and a few others drove out to the transmitter and we're standing out front of it. And the guy said, I don't know, there's just no sound coming in here at all. And the chief engineer said, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's walk it. So he got his flashlight, saw where the wire went into the side of the transmitter building, began walking it, got over to the telephone pole, shined it up about 10 feet. And there were all the frayed telephone wires. And it was a bundle of, I don't know, 100 wires maybe, all cut to shreds. <laughs> wow. And I said, well, just, just put our two back together. He goes, hey, wise guy, which two would that be? <laughs> <laughs> so it took a few hours to get that thing fixed. Did you have that voice when you were five years old? Or did it, like, come one day in puberty? <laughs> uh, it happened at about 13, uh, a little earlier than some guys. And make a long story short, you know, my, my mother... Uh, was a very devout Irish Catholic. And at about 12 and a half, I got rheumatic fever, and I had to lay in bed for nine months. And I was a little depressed. And Mom said, ah, the good Lord never closes a door. He doesn't open a window. Ask him for what you want. So I said, well, I want to be a disc jockey. And pretty soon the voice changed, and the next summer I got a job. It was kind of cool. <laughs> wow. I wish I had your mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were on the radio when you were 14. That's right. Yeah. In fact, that, that's another story I kind of enjoy. Um, it was on an FM station when nobody listened to FM, and it played Montevani and Andre Castellanos and Lawrence Welk, and it only talked about four times an hour. But I was on the air, so I didn't care. And I called down there, and I said, do you have any openings for part-time announcers? And they said, well, actually, we, we do. And I said, well, do you have any uh, age restriction? And they said, well, no. And I said, well, then I'd like to come down and audition. So my mother drove me down because I was 14. Sure. And 
got to the front thing. I said, well, I have an appointment with Mr. Siegel. And they said, you, you, you do? You little pimply-faced snot? You have an appointment? Yeah. So he said, well, uh, I thought maybe you thought you were too old for the job or something. But anyway, he took me in a production room, read for him. And uh, the owner said, you know, kid, I think you got a little something. You're really, really raw. But if you're willing to take some direction, I'll take a shot with you. So he did. Wow. Uh, 14, I was selling Amway products. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, the guy that owned this station was Lee Siegel, who created the Dr. IQ radio show years ago. And uh-huh. just a wonder, wonderful, wonderful man. So you grew up in, in Dallas. Right. And the big top 40 station was KLIF. And, and KBOX. Like all kids who want to be DJs, you know, we had that one station growing up that we just fantasized about being on one day. You were on KLIF. You were still a teenager. You were what? I was. I 19 was. Um, when you were on KLIF? There, there was another station, too. KLIF was one. KBOX, KBOX was the other one. And KBOX was the first radio station I actually physically got to go see. And uh, Chuck Benson, who later ended up in Chicago, was on the air. And one of the DJs was standing in the production room as I peered through the window. And that guy was... Big Dan Ingram. Ah. And and that was the first disc jockey I actually met. He was the morning guy. Uh, Al Loman, Roger Barkley worked at K-Box. Uh, I mean, some really phenomenal talent went through there. And that was where my first, and of course, then I was trained by the McClendons, uh, Gordon at KLIF, where music was important, but, but so were you. You were to bring something to the parade that people couldn't get by just playing all these songs at home. And so the disc jockey became critically important to me and when you're being raised listening to such an array of talent right in your own hometown it's it's intimidating but it's challenging and i said no i i got to join that circus it looks too good yeah you know it's one thing to have a voice and it's another to have something to say and to also have a delivery well and there and you know we used to have a, a call them pukers the guys who talked like that and everything was wonderful on a wicked wednesday and and that that never interested me but uh you know at night i could pick up wls and koma and those kind of places and real personalities were on and you know i loved the music i cared about all that but i really wanted to see the pictures they were going to paint and the things they were going to create with with just what they said to me and it 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 was a vaccination that never went away and I'm not going to hit each one, uh, but I know you have stories, many stories about each stop. But, you know, CKLW, KFRC, uh, KHJ, WLS. Uh, did you know that my dad became the general manager of WLS in the late 80s? If only he had been the manager when I worked there, it would have been a lot more fun. <laughs> I, the, the guy that ran it when I was there, and of course, that was a fun bunch. It was John Landecker and Dick Saint and... J.J. Uh, Jeffrey and a, you know, some really talented people. But the manager ended up, I'm told, later in a mental hospital. I mean, he was uh, that <laughs> deranged. So, now, CKLW is one quick fun story I'll tell you. Um, that that was a giant building. It had AM, FM, and TV in the same building. It was and in the, Detroit. Actually, Windsor, Canada, Windsor. but right over the border from Detroit. That's correct. And the signal really covered the U.S. better than it covered Canada. So we banged into Buffalo and Cleveland and all kinds of places. 50,000 watts day and night. It was a, a monster. The TV tower was right out back of the building. So one night I get a call that uh, somebody said that they've uh, they've cut the wire. 
So I turned the radio on and no, I said, you're, you're on. He said, no, no, no. They cut the guy wire on the tower. So I lived closest. So I went out in the parking lot and looked and the thing was bending over at about a, a disgusting angle. And the decision was made, a bunch of us ran over there. The decision was made that if, if the winds picked up much more, the top of the tower would come down right over the control room. And that was about 23 tons. And they decided that was too big a risk. So we uh, abandoned the building, put on a Beatles album, drove out to Harrow, Canada, 23 miles where the transmitter was. And the program director was with me and we took a bunch of records and a microphone. He said, no, we can go out there and do it. They, they tell me we have two turntables out of the transmitter studio. So we drove out there in the middle of cold, cold night, got out there and found out, yes, indeed, the station's quite old, by the way. They did have two turntables, but they only played 78 RPM records. (laughs) (laughs) Last used in 1944. (laughs) Yes, yes. The the needles were a little dry, but, you know, we could try it. (laughs) Being at KFRC in San Francisco in the 60s, boy, that sounds like the absolute dream job to me. I kind of wonder why I ever left that one. Uh, that that was a real dream come true. Another another you know dream staff: Mike Phillips and Dave Diamond and Mark Elliott and other guys who went on to have big success. And of course, I was twenty. I think I was twenty one at the time, <laughs> single, uh, living at uh, one thousand North Point with my living room window staring into the Bay of San Francisco. And why I ever thought to leave that, I'm, I'm not real sure what happened to me. I think I just lost my mind one day. Let's see, 21, I was doing weekends at Kern in Bakersfield for $2.50 an hour. <laughs> well, we were never in it for the money, Ken. It was always No, we were fun. not, which is and, good. And, and, the, and, the free, <laughs> and the free T-shirts, that was always good, too. Did you ever apply for a job you didn't get? Um, yeah, yeah, I did. Um, there was a time when I really wanted to get in. I had been a program director, but I wanted to be a program director again. And there was an opening at a station, I forget which company had it. And uh, I took a shot, flew in, visited with them, and uh, they, they just didn't, they didn't bite the, the, the lure. So um, I missed that one. It turned out for the better. I mean, everything that, that, that you didn't get, you probably shouldn't have had. So I don't, I don't really miss that. Um, I did turn down New York twice. WABC offered two, two times. And it just wasn't good. First one was the overnight shift, and then the second one was vacation fill-in. And I was doing mornings in San Francisco, and I thought, well, I'm not going to trade this. <laughs> yeah, well, I can understand that. You know, you were saying uh, that radio today, you know, for guys like us who have loved and lived radio our whole lives, it's, it's really sad to see. I mean, I never thought that that I would outlive radio. And well, and it I seems think like I think we, we both have. have. You know, it, 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 in our starting years, you know, there had to be a human being in the building all the time. The mm-hmm. only stations that were automated were some of these Modavani FMs, and nobody thought that was worth anything because there's no content to that. And you had to have a real person in there all the time. That's right. Like, to check yeah. the logs, you had to have oh. you had to have a license. I had to go to a a license school to get my yeah. FCC first class license. Absolutely. Well, I only had a third with endorsements, so you beat me on that one. But um, <laughs> it, it, and and it was just uh, the camaraderie. It was usually a lot of younger guys, uh, most of them single, and there was a a party atmosphere within the building, which we tried to take onto the air. 
but now I have a good friend doing a morning drive shift in a major market. And they say that uh, they go in in the morning and turn the lights on in the studio. And at 10 o'clock when they're done, they turn the lights off. Everything else is in a computer. So there's one live show. And I, I just don't know where, first of all, the, the, the fun and the magic. I used to turn the, the songs up at the end to hear what the DJ was going to do. I'd always like that part. But then, too, general information. I mean, Monsoon or Haboob comes through. And can you even mention that? Well, not if it's pre-recorded, you can't. So I, th I think radio, and, and also, too, you remember, Ken, at that time, there were usually two rockers, and between them and American Bandstand was where all the information on music was coming from. So now, I, my stepdaughter says she doesn't like to listen to the radio because the DJs talk too much. I'm going, well, thanks so much. That was how I built this house. <laughs> <laughs> I well, it, I really it was did. also a shared experience for yes. kids. You yes. know, everybody listened to KHJ or KFRC or KGB. Well, then there was there was one morning at KHJ, I got a call from a kid. It was almost time to graduate high school. And a, she was talking about her friend. Her friend was not going to be allowed to graduate because she had lost a library book. And they were not going to accept her paying the value of the book. They just couldn't graduate. That was just the end of your story. Well, I put the kid on the air and I said, you know, that's, that's really that's really not good. I need a lawyer to call in. And one did. And he took the case and uh, she graduated. And on the, after they'd been to Disneyland all night long, they came by the next morning with she and her boyfriend. And I mean, those little moments you can't do if you're voice tracking. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. How'd you get into voiceover work? Uh, long story short on that one, I was working at KLIF and the sales guy came in and asked me if I would do a demonstration spot. He was trying to pitch uh, the CBS local station in town. What year so was put, this? Pardon me? What year was this? This would have been late 70s. Okay. So I came up with a concept and put a spot together. The guy took it over to the general manager of the station. The general manager called me up himself and he said, I really like your spot, but I can't stand your station. So um, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to run the spot, but I'm not going to use your station. I said, well, I can't, I can't. That's not going to work too well. You need to buy something. So anyway, he finally bought. Then he said, well, how would you feel about like doing our promos and things? You know, get off the air and come over here for a while. So I did that. And then that guy became president of Times Mirror Broadcasting and gave me all their stations. And then his people moved out to other markets. I, I believe I was the first guy to do a bunch of stations from one out-of-town place. Uh, and it, it kind of spread like that. The, the, and the selling point in those days was, uh, it's not a voice you hear on the local radio station. It's not somebody you hear on all the car spots. It's your voice. And my deal at the time was, if you give me the station, I won't do anything else in your market. So it, it was a way to get going. Yeah, and you do stations, tons of stations, uh, you know, their news intros. And I remember when when MASH went into syndication, one day after filming, after the cast was already tired, they got them all together and they had to record promos for like 200 of the <laughs> local affiliates. Yep. And each one had different copy. So it was, you know... Hi, stay tuned for Action Central 
Cornhusker News with Lester <laughs> Fenork and Susie Cream Cheese. And then the next one is you're on the Sioux City Leader. Action <laughs> Center. You know, they went nuts. It was, it was so interesting that they were like reduced to just rubble within an hour of doing well, you know, that. Part, part, of the, part of the problem or the challenge, I suppose, is to learn how to pronounce, first of all, the anchors' names, because these days people are using their real names. And I remember the first time I had to do um, uh, Oris Tabner and Merle Kackenmeister for Toledo. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to think about that one for a while. And then I got I had a station in Honolulu for a while. And I always wanted that. It would be a lot of fun. And I couldn't pronounce crap of what they were sending me because in Hawaii, yeah, uh, ha, ha, every, every, yeah. uh, every vowel has a sound to it. And after about a week of that, the, the creative services director called. So we love you to pieces, but this is not a good match for you because you can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still fun. It's still fun. How many stations do you do now? Oh, now I've got it down to a controllable number. It's about 27 now. At the height of it, it was 71. 71. Yeah, but that wasn't compatible with good mental health. I mean, you first of all, you just wear your voice out after eight hours of it, and then you were just exhausted. So it's really manageable now, and I really enjoy it. And some stations, do you have to, like, do updates each day? Yep, yep. Um, in, In the case of one of them, we do a morning and an afternoon news topical so that comes in around 10 15 in the morning at about 3 15 in the afternoon and then uh, another station they do a, a new one every day for their five o'clock news and then in in sweeps periods we add radio spots for the tv stations they you know they do a bunch of those at one time right what station are you on in new york wabc channel seven okay what station are you on here in la KBC Channel Seven. <laughs> okay, because you were KBC, and then you did Channel Two for a while. Did that, and and now actually, all I do is the news intros for Channel Seven in LA. The uh, I do all the all the news stuff for New York. Yeah, along with some some radio stations too. It's it's sort of an interesting niche job. Um, do you have a whole giant gorgeous setup at home, your home studio, or? Has it gotten to the point where you're like me and, you know, you can see me through the Zoom camera. You know, I'm just sitting in my office here with a microphone. <laughs> well, in the beginning, I had a, a office outside the home and four reel-to-reels and CD players and and uh, all kinds of crap, and outboard compressors and limiters and all that. And now uh, everything is in the big computer. It's in an Apple and it's with Pro Tools and all the processing is in there and no, it's just me and a mic and a big screen. Wow. Um, describe your typical day. Um, let's see. Uh, the dog and I have coffee at about 6.30. <laughs> we spend a little quality time it? together. Pardon me? He brews it? <laughs> uh, no, no. Actually, my wife gets up really, really early, and uh, so she starts it. When I can smell the coffee, I get up around 6, and then uh, the little, little dog and I spend some quality time. And then it's, uh, you know, shower up and show up. And it about, I start at nine and I'm done by four. But there's a nice break for lunch. And like we're doing it now during a break period. And it's it's not hectic, it's, but it's still fun. That's why I still do it. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it must be like after a while, you're looking at all these names and, and things and going, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> do you miss being on the radio? 
Uh, no, no. I I loved every minute that I was in most stations. But as we've talked about just a few minutes ago, radio isn't doing what it did when it fascinated me. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of uh, sitting in front of a computer going, and now first of three in a row. And, and, you know, and, and then that's it. We had this one. Uh, no, because there's no... I'm not hearing any content anymore. Um, so, no, it wouldn't be of interest. You know, I was sitting once with Dan Ingram when he was doing his shows. He and I became pretty good friends. And I said to him, you know, I heard a spot of yours, because he also did a lot of national commercials. And I said, I heard a spot of yours in Los Angeles. And I recognized your voice, but no one else did. And he says, let me tell you a story. He said... When I walk out of the building at night, I don't want people going, hey, there's Dan Ingram. I want people going, hey, who's that guy getting into a Rolls? <laughs> well, he was one of the quickest wits. He, he inspired me a lot. Another big inspiration was Robert W. Morgan. I thought he was just the king of the ad lib. Uh, I didn't have the style ever of like a real Don Steele that was just high energy beyond my octane level. But people like Dan and Robert W., um, they really inspired me. Yeah. Well, even though people don't know your name until now, uh, <laughs> we, we have heard and appreciated your work for years and years and hope we continue to. Well, thank you very much. As I say, I... I think I'll do it until nobody wants to hire me because my only other hobby is backgammon on the computer. So, you know, I, I don't bowl. I don't play tennis. And these days, now with COVID, at least at the time you and I are talking, you can't even go anywhere. So uh, this is this is what I do for fun, too. Great. Thanks, Charlie. Thank you, Ken. Anytime. Okay, there you go. Our thanks to this week's guest, the voice of God, and also thanks to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce and Jason Miller. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I'm on Twitter, at Ken Levine, also Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe. Talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. Hollywood and the Vine. If you want to be the most interesting person at the cocktail party, well, hop on over and listen to the Brain Candy Podcast. Our award-winning content will have you laughing whilst you're learning. We read all the best articles, books, and studies and keep up with new TV shows, documentaries, and pop culture. Then cram it all into two shows a week. Conspiracy theories, cannibal rabbits, unsolved mysteries, the history of the Walkman. There's something for everyone. The Brain Candy Podcast. Find our link in the show notes.